So hello everyone and let me introduce my guest for today's podcast. Her name is Melissa. Melissa is an emotional healing life coach. She is an innovator, an intuitive mystic, poet, visionary and a healer. She works with professional to break through abandonment, guilt, shame, people pleasing, perfectionism and ridicule to live your best life. Welcome Melissa. So great to have you here. Oh my gosh, Anka, it's so great to be here. I am super excited to for be sure. here with you today. Yeah. Interesting. and we have been having a lot of uh, conversation on our instagram dms about mindfulness and i saw a lot of your stuff about mindfulness so real quickly can you tell me like what do you describe as mindfulness um mindfulness is a practice of for me at least it's a practice of living in the present moment um and stepping into a place of awareness so what that means is that rather than me experiencing life from a fully emotional level like feeling like everything is happening uh against me or there is an emotional attachment to an experience i actually get to become the observer so it's almost mm-hmm. like watching my life play out from the eyes or from the lens of a movie director as opposed to maybe the actor So an actor is being told it's following an actor is following the script or a screenplay yeah. right but the director is directing the movie to a certain extent um but directing the movie and also being aware of how the the role of the key player key character is interweaving with the other characters in the movie so I'll just mm-hmm. summarize that again mindfulness is a practice of presence and awareness this is my definition So I get to step into the place of the observer, observing life, observing what is happening, and from that space I get to discern the choices that I want to to make. So there's less of an emotional charge behind my choices. Interesting. And recently I've been listening to the uh, this podcast and uh, Joe Rogan podcast and there was a Indian mystic on there, uh, Sadhguru. so mm. they were t- talking about uh, something in the similar lines like uh, you should not live like uh, what what you can say reactively so every event around mm. you is an uh, trigger and mm. how you react to it determines like how you are living so is there any similar between similarities between like mindfulness and being a we can say a silent observer kind of thing like yes uh, absolutely being the silent observer mm-hmm. i think what happens is that you know when 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 we're born right everything about life is uh, revolves around us it mm-hmm. revolves around you as the baby that is your world um and what happens is as we as we grow up often we don't evolve that concept that concept of self and so we react to everything that's happening in the world we re- we react from a per- we personalize every experience right but mm. if we become the observer um then we step into a place where we are a part of life we're not separate to life because ankit when i feel that life is against me or things are people are are um you know i'll go back to life is against me like things are happening against me or happening for me even mm-hmm. then that puts me separate to life but if i from the place of an observer and from a spiritual perspective perspective except that actually i am part of life like in nature the flower doesn't stand there in the field and goes i'm a flower the flower is part of the entire ecosystem it's mm-hmm. part of nature and as humans 
through mindfulness, we can return back to our nature, which is part of life. And when we're part of life, then we hold the space within us of pure love, knowing that we're always supported, knowing that everything that is happening, we're observing in life, is part of a greater plan Mm -hmm. and is happening for us. changes the perspective of life. I'll pause there. Interesting. And since the life nowadays has been, it has too many stimuli, like everything around you sending you notification and somehow it's want to trigger your emotional reaction or somehow it wants you to take action. So in this time, like uh, highly modernized time, is there any way or should one practice meditation or one should practice any, are there any steps one could, which, like uh, anyone can start taking like this yeah. today to you break know, away from this? Yes, absolutely. And I, I feel like, you know, there's, there's so much information, like you said, even about mindfulness and meditation yeah. at the moment, and it can be very overwhelming. And what I notice immediately for the majority of people when I mention mindfulness or meditation, it's like, oh, that's too hard. I can't do that because there is a concept that's being sold, that's being commercialized. What I would say is an introduction to meditation and to mindfulness is that in many instances in your life, please know that you're already practicing it to a certain extent. You're already practicing a form of mindfulness and a form of meditation. And making a choice to practice it more Mm -hmm. is just expanding your awareness on that. Okay? Now, the reason why I say that is because intrinsically, when you want to bring invite something new into your life, it feels like such a big step to start something new. So my approach is always to say to people, you are actually already practicing it. You're just not aware you are practicing it. So my invitation and my approach is, let's explore where you're already practicing that. And the difference between mindfulness and meditation is that with mindfulness, you're practicing being the silent observer, the quiet observer of something. So Mm -hmm. right now, Ankit, I would say to you, What are you noticing right now? Name me five things that you're just noticing. And don't overthink it. What's the first thing that comes to your mind as as I'm saying this to you? So first thing comes that my fan is making noise. So that's the first thing. And I can hear that through my microphone and headphone. So that's the first thing I'm noticing. The second thing is that I'm looking at the screen and I'm looking at you. So that's the second thing. Third in my like uh, peripheral vision is the camera. So I'm constantly checking that is it running smoothly or not. And so there are a lot of stimuli all around me. So there's a light Mm -hmm. from here. So these are the physical, I can say. Okay, beautiful. Things I'm noticing at the moment. And these are the physical things you can say you're noticing outside of yourself. So notice Mm -hmm. how your, your default setting is to bring awareness to what is outside of yourself. So if I may, are you open to playing a little bit? We just explore this a little bit? Okay. So my invitation now is, as a self-awareness practice, could you name me three things that you're noticing in your body? Physically, but not outside of yourself. Instead, physically within yourself. Three things. First, which comes to me that I'm feeling hot. So that's the first thing. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I'm feeling numbness on my leg, so I'll have to shift my leg. So that's the second thing. And yeah, 
third it's so difficult to figure out like what i'm feeling internally mm. so again i just love to say to you is i really want to honor your awareness you see you went oh i noticed my leg is numb i need to move it see yeah. already that practice of mindfulness has taken you into a different space all right mm-hmm. um you said you were hot so is there something we could do to relieve that and then you said oh my gosh this is so difficult and i want to say to you ankit would you be open to receiving the 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 fact that it's not difficult it's just inviting more space into your living it's almost like we're saying it's difficult because you want to be able to give me an answer now mhm but i never said you have to let me know immediately yeah right and the more time you spend the more space you offer yourself the more connected you are with the sensations within your body and the experience that you're having as a beautiful living human being but i just want to bring a couple of points to this right we invited you to practice this try mindfulness mm-hmm. so you are already doing it see i didn't need to teach you anything you're already doing it it's just about committing the time what we did that in 3 minutes yeah right start in baby steps mm-hmm. and just notice you're just noticing and then also noticing how you talk to yourself like oh my gosh it's really hard is it really hard you did it effortlessly it looked effortless to me mm-hmm. okay so the awareness you're noticing first what's on the outside and then what's on the inside so i would take you anybody through different levels of this and it's just it's play it's yeah. adventure it's exploration there's no right or wrong okay now meditation is awareness of nothing yeah interest okay so this took me a long time to kind of get my head around it's like how do, how am i aware of nothing because if i'm aware mm-hmm. of nothing isn't that something yeah <laughs> and that's the thing about meditation it's it's not a destination and what happens with meditation is through the practice of mindfulness committed mindfulness um it can lead to meditation so they kind of mirror each other i mean the definitions i i'm a bit wary of definitions because i don't want people to be limited by them mm-hmm. but i think that the most simple definition is mindfulness is the practice of self awareness it's noticing something and mm-hmm. meditation is being with nothing and you can reach I just said don't focus on a desperation but meditation is a is a an experience you arrive at through mindfulness that's my experience and it's the being with a nothingness and the nothingness is also everything but without definition it's like absolute presence interesting okay and one thing like uh we generally have tendency to label everything which we are observing so we are very we can say fearful of unknown that mm-hmm. if something unknown is happening with us we want something to label it and really quickly like we want to label it really quickly so that's the thing i've found with the meditation like uh, we want immediate results like i'm just closing eyes i should feel good so that's the general notion around meditation and when i tried meditation so it's been a like a really funny story with me like because in my school it was it is called maharishi vidyamandir so it's uh, founded by i don't know if you are aware about but there's a there was a 
transcendental meditation teacher i which, am i am a tm practitioner yeah so he went from india to i think uh, london and his name i am forgetting i think his name is mahesh yogi and something in the similar lines so he was a transcendental meditation coach and he took that knowledge to like abroad and made it very popular so the institution has schools here and it was a public school and i went there I and they were teaching us meditation from the young age of well, like i can say 10 years fantastic so but real funny story if you are trying to teach meditation to a bunch of teenagers they are not gonna learn. so we will we would just fall asleep on our benches or we would just like start giggling and there are noticed at like uh, there's a lot of teachings available i think in the eastern countries and uh, it is so available that we somehow do not value it mm that's interesting like, like abundance is so much like i can go anywhere here and i can found some meditation camps like around in, in a 100 km direction anywhere i can found meditation camps or someone who's teaching meditation in some form of method but it's so abundant and so cheaply available like we do not value it so much so i have you observed the same, similar thing like when you move from london to i can say malaysia like east or west what's the difference between approach of people from these places i would say uh, at least from my experience traditionally the sort of south asian southeast asian territories i would say mm-hmm. because it, um sort of spirituality i'll say um is very much also part of culture yeah um that it's part of it's a way of life mm-hmm. yeah and less something that is separate like oh i am a yogi you know how mm-hmm. now everybody you you're either a yogi or how we identify like you said we need to label everything you know i'm a coach i'm a yogi i'm a strategist i'm a designer you know i'm a dancer i'm a meditator so what i notice between these different regions is people are now sort of adding things into their toolbox whereas previously and historically meditation was a way of life I mean another form of meditation essentially is many people refer to it as a form of prayer. It's time yeah. you take for yourself for quiet contemplation. Prayer isn't just about asking or giving thanks. It's actually being quiet, going quiet, going inward, going within and noticing what's happening with you and then also asking. Um but these are different expressions of of meditation. I want to touch a little bit on what you talked about identity like we want to label things because we just don't like the unknown. Mm-hmm. And I want to speak to anybody here who is afraid of the unknown is to let you know that you are wired or you me anket every human being walking this planet is wired to navigate the unknown it's literally in our brain i'm not going to go into the technicalities as the hippocampus as the amygdala can't remember which one it is but it's there to scan for danger in the mm-hmm. unknown to keep yeah. us alive so you can give yourself a little bit of respite and chill on the worrying the overthinking about the unknown resting in the knowledge that your body is already wired for it so why not bring a little bit of curiosity and adventure and play into the unknown because if you know my body's wired for this and i can be like okay so what's next what's next as opposed to oh my god what's next 
You see the difference in mm-hmm. that expression? And you get to choose the experience you create. So when I choose the experience like this, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm already feeling tension, that awareness. I'm feeling tension in my body. I'm making myself smaller. My mind, my thoughts are narrowing into what could possibly go wrong. Yeah. But if I remember, hey, I'm wired for the unknown. Okay, what's coming? Then I actually have no thoughts. I'm completely open to what's coming. It's a very different feeling. See, even my, my whole body language is open. That's like I'm welcoming life to come to me. Yeah. Interesting idea. For sure. And I completely agree with you. Like there's a whole evolutionary stuff going on with the fear and stuff like that. Because we yes. have to, like when we were in the jungle, we have to be aware about our surrounding. And every sound which was coming to us was either a danger or we have to notice it and then make our plans according to it. So now yes. we are in the urban jungle, it's a completely different story. And I'm so glad you said that because urban jungle, because our lifestyle, our modern day lifestyle is actually highly stressful, mm-hmm. highly stressful. But the, the system that's running in us is, is really primitive. It doesn't know. It has not been able to sort of um, update itself. Yeah. So that's where our awareness can play a part. So we're not reacting emotionally, but instead mm-hmm. through mindfulness and meditation, we step into that powerful place of self-awareness and from a place of self-awareness, we can also notice our emotions, but not be attached to them. When we notice our emotions, we can understand what it is that our emotions are telling us because emotions are a language in and of themselves. So I'll stop mm-hmm. Interesting concept. And uh, most of the times we are running on autopilot, like we control very minimal amount of our body and our actions. Yes. And that's something like most of the marketers out there, like me, like they use or abuse. So they know what kind of words or what kind of sound or what kind of lighting colors will trick you or will trigger you a certain interactions or certain emotions from you. So mm. they will either ask you to buy something or so they know this psychological thing, things, tricks and things to use this. So that's an interesting concept. And you will have to, even if you are aware about this, like this is happening to me, It is so, we can say, deeply embedded and encoded in our every aspect of life that we will have to fight harder to, we can say, avoid that. Yes, and again, I'm glad that you brought this up because uh, my practice is always to notice our conditioning, right? And our programming, Mm -hmm. just like you said. So it's like the last words I heard you say is to fight to avoid that. Is that what you said? Sorry. Right. Okay. So... I would love to invite you and everybody listening to notice where you feel you have to fight something or avoid something. How about instead you don't fight? And I don't, in a way, I mean surrender. Surrender to the experience because mm-hmm. we learn through experience. If you hold the intention that life is always supporting you because you're a part of life, then even when th- things don't go wrong anymore for you, things just happen. Life happens. And you learn, you make a discerned choice, you make a discernment to choose what can I learn from this experience. So then you're never fighting life. The struggle comes when we're fighting because I have an expectation of an outcome that didn't happen. And now I feel angry or I feel sad and I want to blame something or look look for where it went wrong. 
But with awareness, yes, you look at where it went. It didn't go to plan. I wouldn't even mm -hmm. say it went wrong. See, I changed the language. It didn't go to plan because I'm dealing with the unknown every day. I have no idea what the outcome is going to turn out. I have an intention. I have a goal. If I use the strategy and the goal doesn't come to fruition, then with awareness, I invite, what was the strategy? What can I, what can I try differently? But I'm not fighting anything and I'm not avoiding anything because the more I, I, tr I fight something, the more, the harder the fight becomes. If I can mm. surrender to it, then my vision, field of vision is also broader. Mm -hmm. And I certainly don't want to avoid something because in life, at least I know from my experience, the more I avoid something, the more it's going to come to me because mm -hmm. the very thing I'm avoiding is going to be one of my greatest teachers. Interesting. And I have been on this, uh, like there are two, I can say, thought process going on inside our culture. So one yes. is that of high achievers, like you, hustle culture and you'll have to push yourself to the limit to achieve something to achieve greatness. So that's one thought leader, thought process. And another is uh, like, which we can say work-life balance and be kind to yourself. And uh, at the same time, like you can say, take care of yourself, like your inner child, you have to conserve that. So that's yes. another approach. And another approach, like there, there's a huge difference in there. One, one person is saying that you'll have to wake up at the 4 a.m. and go to like go to gym and work out and whatever like take some protein pills and stuff like that and be energetic and do your work work like 18 hours a day and then you will achieve something and you'll do something worthwhile and another you can say thought leader is saying that you will have to excuse yourself take some break and work on yourself if you're not feeling at like working then don't work so these are the two different ideologies at the we can say at the our current time that's going on so where do you find yourself in this is there a balance or you'll have to go either way i love this question that you're asking and i love that you're bringing this to the awareness of mm -hmm. your community listening because this is so important and this touches upon people's mental health and emotional well-being because absolutely there is so much information out there talking about what's how to be successful yeah. you know what high achieving being a high achiever means but at the same time they're also everybody's barking on about self-care self-love and what is being put out there can be so conflicting right what i would say is there is no one size fits all and so again i go back to this be childlike, be curious, be adventurous, and be playful. The information that you're reading, if it lights you up, mm -hmm. right? Or if it lights you up, it sparks a curiosity and interest in you. Try it. You won't know unless you try it. Mm -hmm. Give yourself a time limit. There'll always be a recommendation. Some people say it takes 90 minutes to create a habit. Do, uh, sorry, not 90 days to create a habit. Yeah. You try it for 90 days. And if I, after 90 days, you feel terrible, then you know that's not for you. It doesn't mean you failed. It just mm -hmm. means it's not for you because we have to remember we are all different, okay? If after 90 days you feel it's worked for you, fantastic, keep doing it. However, it's also very important to remain aware because mm -hmm. 
life is all about cycles, right? I mean, Anke, when you think back to when, how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, 22. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you're 22. Now, remember when you were 10. Remember your energy level when you were 10. Okay. Yeah. Remember how you used to eat, what were your eating patterns like? Would you say they're the same as the Ankit now at 22? No, a lot has changed. A lot has changed, exactly. So we change, therefore, our patterns of behavior need to change, need to be updated. So it's important that once you find your rhythm, like if, mm -hmm. if, if waking up at four and doing a hard workout and working 18 hours a day works for you after you've tried it for 90 days, mm -hmm. Fantastic, but make sure that you are you keep noticing with awareness how you feel. You still feel good because often we go, like you said, we go into autopilot and we yeah. don't notice when our habits and our patterns of behavior are actually no longer serving us. And I fell victim of that. I definitely felt victim of that. I would push beyond my limit because I was just stuck in a pattern of behavior that once upon a time was working for me And after many years, it was actually causing me ill health. Another reason why mindfulness and meditation is a very important practice to um, incorporate into your life if you can. Interesting. For sure. And another, my personal question is here. So I am a science graduate. So I come from the background of science. And uh, when I was like in the pursuit of science and I was like, uh, that's my journey. So I was pursuing like uh, astrophysics and all the stuff, cosmology and that stuff. Really? Oh my yeah. gosh, amazing. So Love I've that. been constantly learning about that, how the stars are formed and everything and everything that, around that. So the, for me, that was a journey to find myself. Like in this vast universe, who am I and what's my purpose? So somehow that science took me back to spirituality. Like on a fig I was not getting my, uh, I can say, 100% in the science. So they are very honest about that. Like we do not know who you are, but we know how you are, like how you came here. We have some like scientific knowledge about that. Then when I go back to spirituality, there's, you have to filter a lot because a lot of spiritual people are trying to answer the questions of science. Like they want to answer some scientific questions like how does the life evolve and everything like that through the lens of religion and their spiritual text and everything through that. So that's what I think uh, keeps a lot of, we can say, educated or the person who just like has some knowledge about science and how it works from uh, exploring this field. Like they, they think it's too woo-woo. Like, wow, you're talking about something which is completely illogical. And somehow it limits a lot of good practices, like it keeps them from uh, learning about meditation or positive thinking, this stuff like that. So they th think this stuff is also illogical. So have you met with people like, uh, I had this similar thought and I'm still not 100% sure that spirituality can answer all my questions. I'm still thinking that I'll have to explore a lot on my own to find out my answer to my own questions. So have you met people like me? I, and again, Ankit, I love this question. I have met people like you. Um, and the first person I met like you was the person I used to see in the mirror. So yeah. I was the same, you know. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that, you know, our greatest purpose is to live fully this adventure of life and discover who we are mm -hmm. in each moment as it reveals itself. 
Because who I am now is different to the person I am now, literally two seconds later. Yeah. That, that is the beauty of life. And I never want to be attached to one version of me because then what ends up happening is I'm limiting myself to the mm -hmm. potential of who I will become, not who I can become, who I will become. So let's go back to this idea of science, right? And, and logic and spirituality being in many ways illogical. Now, what I would say to someone like me, who was a non-believer of spirituality and very science-based, and maybe someone like you and other mm -hmm. people listening, is that remember as a scientist, everything was illogical until yeah. it became logical. So you have to remember where we started. Mm -hmm. Everything began from the unknown and not making any sense. Yeah. Once upon a time, someone looked up and saw the moon and said, one day I'm going to put a man on the moon. And everybody in the world, I'm pretty sure, the majority of people in the world thought that person was crazy. Yeah. And now it's not so crazy anymore. Okay. So I'm using that as an example because, of course, everything is illogical until it's logical. Mm -hmm. Everything is crazy until somebody does it and shows and normalizes it. Everything is impossible until someone, until there's evidence that it is possible. So I like to live life again from the lens of this inner child's part in me because if you imagine, if you remember, if you can remember as far back as when you were a child, that you lived life in the present moment, everything was possible. Yeah. Were, you, were you that little boy who maybe fantasized, dreamt of being a superhero? And all you needed to do was take a tablecloth, right? Or a, a sarong or something, tie it around your neck. And in an instant, nobody in the world could tell you that you were not a superhero, right? Yeah. Everything was possible. And so we still hold that magic within us to be open, to be surprised by life. Because when we're open to be surprised by life, then we see life differently then we get to explore and discover new things in life. If you look at the innovators and the pioneers and the absolute creatives, these people who discover new things, that's mm -hmm. the mindset they have. They're open to discover. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I think uh, it's your own beliefs that uh, restrict you from like trying out new things. Absolutely. Like that's an interesting concept I found. Like uh, I had someone might have a lot of struggle struggle inside themselves to figure out new things which conflict their, with their community or the tribe or the religion they belong to. Yes. So that's the limiting factor there. Let's say I'm from X religion and if I found anything interesting and worthwhile in Y religion. So there's a lot of preconditioning inside me and a whole lot of, we can say, previous, uh, we can say, biases toward, toward that religion that's limiting me to experiment and learn more things about it. And I'm pretty yes. sure there's a lot to learn there. So Yes. And, and yeah. that's why the, the communities, the societies, or the, the company that we choose to keep is, is very important. But also knowing that over life, the course of your life, like how many mm -hmm. out of 10 friends that you knew when you were 10, how many are you still friends with? One. There you go, you know, because we grow, we change and we evolve. And 
we change the people that we are around. So often we have this attachment because of safety. It makes mm-hmm. us feel safe. But I think the biggest limiting um, factor for us for growth or when we know we want to explore something different or something challenges our belief is more, who am I now? That, that, who am I now that, that now that belief has been challenged? What does that mean about me? What does that say about me? I think that's the key thing. We tend maybe to hide behind, oh, my family don't accept me. Oh, my friends don't accept me. But the truth is, do you accept you? We become so, yeah, we become so attached to the identities. And spiritual exploration is about surrendering your attachment to identities. Interesting. And... uh... I think that uh, word spirituality has been so abused by <laughs> yes. everyone else because yes. I, I was listening to this guy I'm forgetting his name but he goes with something related to the quantum science so quantum science is something which is which we we can say in the science is has it's in this early stage and there is a lot of experimentation and a lot of new things happening there so scientists themselves are proposing a lot of new theories and a lot of new we can say concepts so he picks that concept somehow molds it into spirituality and then says that you are manifesting what you are thinking so i don't know if you read this book called secret and there are a lot of people who are a strong believer in that and there are a lot of people who strongly oppose that and mm-hmm. most of the science community straight up says that it's a bullshit right. you shouldn't listen to it and it will do more harm than it will do good mm-hmm. so What's your take on that? Like using science to justify spirituality? My take on that is like with everything, which is personal discernment. So there are aspects of the book. I've read the book. I've seen the movie. I've done a lot of workbooks around it. And I think when people are searching for an answer outside of themselves, mm. anything they adopt is dangerous. Because what we're doing is we're handing our power away. We're saying, someone give me the answer. Give me the answer. Yeah. If, however, that person goes through with awareness, right? Like, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to take this information in. And then I'm going to decide for myself how much of this resonates with me. And constantly maintain and hold my awareness through this journey so that I don't become blinded and intoxicated and dependent on this information because then it becomes dogma. Mm-hmm. Like with anything, it becomes dogma. We become, we go into autopilot. Yeah. So that to me applies to both spiritual practices, spiritual teachings. It also applies to science because as I mentioned earlier, everything was unknown, everything was illogical, everything made no sense until it made sense. And how we make sense and logic out of something, especially through science, is we create rules, right? If this, then that. When -hmm. this happens and you combine this, I mean, I'm obviously simplifying this, but I'm also speaking to a scientist, so I hope this this, this translates well, right? We we figure out these rules, these formulas that -hmm. make sense of things. But again, just because the formula has been made doesn't mean that it can be proved otherwise. Again, as we know historically, how many scientific principles have been overturned? Mm -hmm. So we always have to be aware 
and say, yeah, I've studied this. This makes sense. But, you know, I'm evolving. The world is evolving and life is evolving. So I'm open to things changing, expanding, the information shifting, the perspective actually even uh, contradicting the rule that is given right now. Mm-hmm. I'll pause there. Does that make sense? That's kind of my perspective sure. on things. Definitely. And I don't know if you want to go there, but uh, in the past I used to like when the religion and everything was the biggest, we can say, a rule book of how to live your life. Yes. And when it was there, it gave you some kind of code of conduct to how to live your life. And yes. it provided you with the rules and everything like that. But then science came and technology came and people are like, I think what convinced people to the religion, like they believed in that miracles and everything like that, because that was something superhuman attached to that. But when the science came and slowly and slowly people got, uh, like people were able to find something which were not logical in there. And then some people went to the complete opposite direction, like whole religion is uh, like, it's not of any use and we should like trust science and stuff like that so what we generally call as atheist mm-hmm. so now there's a big void left by the religion after the religion left there's a big big void and they are trying to fill it with the spirituality like they wanna like they wanna find the morals and uh, what ideal human should be through that uh, spirituality and stuff like that so do you think Spirituality can fill the void of religion, which is missing from our day life. I don't know who said this, but uh, God is dead and we killed it. I'm, I'm forgetting. Is it Nietzsche or someone like that? Oh, Nietzsche, Frederick. Yeah. Again, I think, I think generation after generation, you will have um, radical thought leaders and spiritualists mm-hmm. and uh, religious leaders as well. Um, and I, again, I don't think there's one, one size fits all. I think to me, the power comes uh, potentially through the practice of mindfulness. And there's many different forms of mindfulness, right? It's, there's mindfulness in nature. There's, there's, even with meditation, there's walking meditation. Mm-hmm. My, my preferred uh, introduction to mindfulness and meditation is actually through mu- music. Yeah. Now, you know, a purist will say, oh, no, it has to be done in, si- uh, in silence. Well, you know, if it works for you, great. I, I don't believe in being restricted or constricted. I believe and I remember and I abhor, I, no, I encourage, not abhor, I encourage everybody to remember there are no two people who are the same in this world. So it's really important that we discover what's right for us today and be open to knowing that what's right for you tomorrow may be different. So let's live this life and have fun and enjoy and explore and discover together mm-hmm. and is religion going to, is spirituality going to replace religion my honest truth is Ankit and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way I actually don't really care because mm-hmm. I'm on my own journey of discovery and what I want is to surround myself and also hold space for other people to step back into their own power so I'm not depending on spirituality Neither am I depending on religion, nor am I depending on science Mm -hmm. to justify and explain what I am experiencing of life. Because only I can experiencing it. Nobody Nobody can challenge what is real for me. 
And my greatest purpose, and I believe everybody's greatest purpose, as I mentioned earlier, is to be you. And a lot of people are like, oh, what does that mean? That means exploring and living life fully the mm-hmm. way you see fit for you every day. That's, it's as simple. I say it's as simple as that. So as you know, I have a, I'm, I'm starting to build a community of like-minded people who are curious, who are open, not open to being challenged, but open to explore new thoughts and ideas and see what works for them. See what makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. We're not here to fight each other. We're here to be with each other, learn about each other, because when we learn about each other, we also learn more about ourselves. Yeah. Interesting idea. And uh, I was just uh, researching about, like, uh, coming from the sense background, everything I found, I look back into, like, figure out what they are saying about this. So this is int- really interesting. Like, we still do not know why, what makes music so much imp- impactful and why certain people are very much, we can say, they get goosebumps. So it, it's the case with me. It's a French term called frisson. Like, when you hear music, you will get goosebumps. It's very like some people get that some people don't get that so that's a complete different field like people are still not sure on in the science like what makes music this much impactful is it to, does it have some like evolutionary benefit like to use music or does, is it just a side effect of another like language and stuff like that in a community mm-hmm. building so music some completely difficult like a different topic for me it's on that verge of spirituality and uh, realism because there's a pattern and gods and stuff like that. So it follows a structure. You can say a mathematical structure, but there's yes. a structure at the same time. It goes to beyond science. Like it's not limited there. There you go. Yeah. And this is why I say I would invite all scientists and spiritualists to say this is a perfect opportunity to come together and discover together, not be limited by your own beliefs. There is a place where both science and spirituality can exist together. Why not learn together? But you see, what happens is we get so, and I say we, human beings by conditioning, get so possessive about their beliefs. It's like, oh, this is my belief because it defines who they are. Mm-hmm. right? We forget we're always growing, we're always evolving, and we forget also how exciting it is to make a new discovery. Isn't it exciting? Yeah. Right? We, sure. lose, we lose sight of that. And absolutely, music, I mean, there is so much science behind it. And I, at one point in time, you know, I, I really wanted to learn about the science behind it. I, my background is I'm a musician. And I thought, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into my head about this because I know what I feel. I know what I feel when I write music, you know. I'm inspired. Break down the word. Just like Mm. inspiration, it's in spirit. There is definitely something spiritual in the sense that it's intangible. It's a powerful energy that comes through me, right? It's Where is the science? Can science explain that yet? Not yet. Not yet, but you see how I use yet because I believe in science. Mm-hmm. I also believe science will always be playing catch up to the incredible world and the incredible miracle that we are. And I use the word miracle because, of course, it's a miracle. Look at the life we are. Look at, the, look at how amazing it is that two human beings come together and create life. To, to deny that as a miracle is to deny our humanness, I believe. Yeah. 
you know, and so they can. I, I believe that spiritualists and scientists uh, are arguing over something that essentially they probably, they actually agree on. They're just using different language for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are your yeah, thoughts around that? Because you're, you're a scientist who's curious, who's been curious about spirituality. What are your thoughts on that? So first of all, you will have to be a lot more skeptical. Coming from the background of science, you are already yes. skeptical. But even when you find anything about spirituality, you will have to be skeptical. Just to accept it on a face value would be a disaster. Like there's a whole lot of baggage that comes with spirituality. And yes. where are you learning from it? That's also a different factor in there. Because the yes. person who's teaching will somehow it, it will affect the teaching her, his or her teaching the way he's teaching or whatever he's teaching it will include some of his own thoughts and personalities and stuff like that so yes. that can somehow so it's like you'll have to try by yourself whatever is teaching you'll have to try by yourself and figure out is it working for me or not because i've tried meditation and around two or three times and every time i've fallen asleep in half an hour just, just mm. on, like when I, where I'm sitting, I will just fall asleep. So, but, but, but who's told you that that's bad? I don't know, but uh, I'll have to. That's what I had in mind that I'll, I'll be awake up to one an hour, like an hour. But uh, around 30 to 35 minutes, I will just fall asleep. So let me tell you this. Let me share this with you. In order for your sympathetic nervous system... Now, your sympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system is the one that gets you into the fight or flight mode, okay? It's yeah. the one that keeps it, it's that high energy, high active one. Uh, well, let's just call it sympathetic nervous system, mm-hmm. fight or flight. In order for your body to actually shift out of that, you need to be meditating for a minimum of 25 minutes. So mm-hmm. once you hit that mark, your body switches into your parasympathetic nervous system, which cultivates, you know, the rest and recover so you just said to me, you tend to fall asleep around the 35-minute mark. Yeah. Does that now make sense? Yeah. It's making so, sense now. So therefore, don't beat yourself up about it, um, you know, because it makes sense. So the deepening, the, the deepening of the practice of meditation beyond 35 minutes is to create an awareness of, uh, is practicing being aware beyond the 35 minutes. It's not that you failed that you slept. In fact, if you fell asleep, it means you succeeded in switching yourself into the parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. Interesting way to look at it, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And like spirituality is... So what I've been constantly thinking about this, that uh, here in India, the meditation was... The way of life, like every act we were doing, it was in the way of life until like things changed and uh, everything changed, like whole culture shift, culture shift happened. But before that, uh, every act was some kind of meditation, Mm. like even the work you were doing, like you were cooking. So that was in some kind of form a meditation, meditative practice, even if you're like uh, washing your clothes. So that was, uh, we can say therapeutic process. But uh, nowadays, what I'm seeing, seeing that uh, there's a, I don't know if you're aware, but that there's a Maslow hierarchy of needs. Yes. Like there's, you'll have to meet your basic need first. And unfortunately, spirituality and everything like about mind, mindset and everything is on the top. So you'll have to work a lot and get every need fulfilled. Then you will have time for that, uh, we can say inner peace. 
so how do you think like like because i have been on the same journey i'll have to like uh, it's very important to be physically secure and have their food and everything stuff like that and clothes and stuff like that but where's this where this stops like now i'm ready for uh, like spirituality or now i'm ready for inner peace so how do you like have you met people like this who are on the same journey i have met many people like this on the same journey i i was on the same journey too and mm-hmm. and i have to admit and this might be a radical perspective but i'm sure many people feel have the same idea which is i believe that we are we are controlled by a system that that um whose greatest purpose is to control us and it has commercial value it's big business you know yeah. masnos hierarchy of of that that pyramid like you say we have to mm-hmm. work through in order to get to spirituality but but anke how about we consider that we're born spiritual because when we're born we don't have beliefs we have no limiting beliefs you look at a child a toddler they are part of life right they follow they follow a butterfly they go to a flower they play when they when they when they um they know what their needs are they don't label it with a word in their minds they know what they need and they go and get it or they find a way to fulfill that they may not have the physical ability but if they have parents or a caregiver they know that they need to ask for help and support so they're spiritual we are spiritual in the sense that we're in spirit we're being guided by the spirit within us the intuition within us we are part of life we're responding to life and then what happens is we become more and more detached from this very natural state of living as part of life now with that hierarchy of needs and we're told oh we have to do this we're being given a to-do list of life yeah why it's because that buys into commercialism doesn't it mm-hmm. if i have to have my needs met i need to get an education tick that box i need to then get a job tick that box and then within each of those categories there are other things that we need to do in order to achieve it mm-hmm. so we're always chasing life becomes a chase it becomes all about goal setting and going for those goals but act and that's everything that's outside of ourselves but if through practices of meditation and mindfulness for example and we strip away what we need outside of ourselves and come home to ourselves then all we have is in a piece everything above that is a bonus and a benefit now this is comes across probably as a very idealistic point of view but i just want to bring it home to this why are we why is in a piece why are we allowing ourselves to be told that inner peace can only be achieved after all these other things mm. isn't it our job isn't it our adventure to mm. discover what inner peace means for us and maybe flip it on its head and say you know what let me create inner peace now because the truth is ankit if you have inner peace you want for nothing yeah you're happy with life exactly the way it is mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you can't want for more what it means that is if you want for more and you don't get it it's okay because you can be at peace with what is so i'll, I'll kind of pause it there because you've taken me even me on a journey like thinking wow yeah i forgot about that <laughs> interesting and uh, there's a con- uh, term called keeping up with the jones it's on the west like you'll have to be <sighs> yes. 
and in our india we call it sarma ji ka beta so that's like son of sarma ji so right this is a similar concept like yes. you'll have to be like them to be like perfect like you have achieved something so that's a standard there and we as a marketer did a lot of so i will bring my whole community into this like we have done this like we have made that gold standard like you have to be this and this to achieve and be successful hmm these and metrics yeah this metrics and we are still doing it so it's not new thing we are just playing around here and there just coining different terms but we are still taking you through the same journey like now even we have commercialized the spirituality so that's the new thing <laughs> yeah that's like, true that's funny that's like uh, that's a market like if you give us anything we will commercialize it yeah and my my journey my exploration with marketing and branding is actually to bring home bring people back home to themselves which is to do the opposite which is to say hey mm-hmm. you know come join me come join the community where our belief uh, there we go belief again uh come and join the playground you've heard me say this the mm-hmm. playground you know let's play together and discover life together um so that you become a sovereign being again sovereign meaning you are you notice when you're being influenced you notice when something is being sold to you there's nothing wrong for being something being sold to you but you're making your decisions from a place of awareness not yeah. because somebody has charged your emotion up or or because they've sold you the metrics because the metrics may not have been something that you ever valued in the first place mm-hmm. it's that and i'm going to use this word mindfully as well you've been manipulated for sure yeah emotionally mentally uh manipulated and there's nothing wrong with that because everybody has a purpose my purpose for example is to bring mindfulness and music to people does that mean i'm going to manipulate people maybe maybe but what is my intention my intention is to bring in a piece and either it's for people or it's not i need to get that message out so marketing is an interesting thing it's very interesting interesting and uh, whoever i work with they do not have ill intention in their mind like even even exactly. where they are like deploying tactics to so they think that they are doing right but in the long term it turns into something different and i'm sh- pretty sure that they are themselves not aware that how much damage they are doing when using yeah. these techniques and stuff like that because yes just to earn more money they are willing to use these techniques and create a whole lot of new problems so that's completely interesting topic and to make them aware is a different beast in themselves like to make each decision maker aware that uh, you are doing this much damage by using this psychological tricks and stuff like that like who will be up to task to tell mark zuckerberg that uh, the like button you have installed on every interaction is causing this much harm to the teenagers and stuff and is completely changing the psycho- psychography of a whole generation yeah so yeah. they are on, in their own we can say echo chamber and stuff like that so that's a completely different thing interesting stuff i mean i do i mean the word manipulation is is very charged right and mm-hmm. essentially i believe that uh if you were being true to the word it's manipulating where with ill intent um but i i occasionally like to use the word manipulate because like i said earlier right everything is illogical until it's a lot it's logical mm-hmm. and for a lot of people you know some things are are just not possible until they say it's possible so if you can manipulate the information 
in a way that helps people see potential. So without the ill intent, without the ill intent, I still think that's manipulating because I take a piece of plasticine or soil and I'm manipulating it. I'm changing the shape, maybe into a shape that you understand better than yeah. somebody else. So I'm very mindful about the way, the way we I use the word manipulate. But you know, we are we are living, as you mentioned much earlier in this in this call, uh, Ankit. We're living in a world where people are becoming more aware, more curious. Um, and more than ever, there are opportunities for us to play together and be curious together, just like you inviting me to be part of this interview. It's been so much fun. You know? And there's no right or wrong, right? It's, it's lear- as I said, learning uh, f- about each other, through each other, and with each other. Just like on a playground. Yeah. And I'm pretty much, uh, like the music is still mysterious to me. So I'll go back to that. So... Do you think uh, music is some form of emotional manipulation? It can be. Yeah. It can. Well, yes, yes. It is. I just talked about manipulation, right? Yes. Um, it can. It can be in the sense that you can use music to shift the way you feel. Mm-hmm. Just for example, getting. You know, that's why people play upbeat music at a party, because yeah. to get people in the mood. You know, um, it's why when we're feeling sad or heartbroken, especially heartbroken, you're less likely to listen to happy songs and more likely to listen to heartbreak songs because the song um, is actually holding a space for your emotions. I'm not sure if I would call that manipulating. I would probably call that honoring your emotions because we're so, we're so uneducated in our emotions. Our whole education system is pretty much built around the thinking mind. Yeah. Logic, being logical, the scientific, you know, based on everything we see outside of ourselves. We're not taught mm-hmm. about emotional intelligence. We're not taught to go inward, generally speaking. Of course, you went to a meditate, you went to a school where they taught you meditation, so that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you say, don't teach t- teenagers, don't bother teaching teenagers meditation, it's all a process. You know, I, even until today, I've been meditating. I've been practicing meditation for like eight years nearly. And I still have my days where I'm just like, oh my God, this is so hard. <laughs> you know, because I'm human. Yeah. You know, and I laugh. I laugh at myself. I laugh at myself constantly looking at my clock, thinking, is it half an hour yet? It's only been three minutes. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing there. And I'm very surprised, like, uh, why does sad music work when you are feeling sad? Doesn't it sound counterintuitive, like, when you are sad, you should listen to happy songs to make yourself happy. But it works other way, like, when you are sad, and if you feel yes. like listen to sad music, it helps elevate your mood. So why is this like that? Um, my experience, both with myself, um, listening to sad music when I'm sad, also having created sad music... And the clients that I've worked with is that, you know, we have these emotions that don't feel comfortable in our bodies and therefore we want to escape the emotion, right? So you said it's counterintuitive to feel sad and listen to a song that's going to make you feel sad. Mm-hmm. You, you want to quickly re- get out of that space and be happy. But yeah. that sad emotion is there for a reason. It needs to be felt. And so intuitively... Not sort of counterintuition is is actually when the mind says that doesn't make sense. But clearly the body knows what it needs. 
and it need, it wants to listen to sad music because, and, and this is where languaging comes in. A lot of our culture tells you, oh, stop wallowing. Mm. Right? And that's discernment piece. When we're aware, I know when I'm wallowing and I know when I need to simply feel my sadness. Just feel it. Feel it. This is why listening to music, to music can be a mindfulness practice. Listen to the song. Feel my emotions. Journal. What are the stories? What are the things I'm saying to myself? Oh, he was a beep, beep, beep. Oh, she broke my heart. She lied to me. I feel betrayed. I want to, you know, journal. As you're feeling that emotion, you release the charge because emotion, you know, people play with this energy in motion because mm -hmm. it is, it's energetic. You feel emotion, right? You feel it. You discharge it by writing by journaling it using the music to hold the space for it it's like the car it's the vehicle i guarantee you after x amount of time and i say x because for everybody it's different right that emotional charge will dissolve because you've honored it you've allowed yourself to feel it and you have through a practice of awareness observed mm -hmm. the narratives the stories the feelings that whatever it is is coming through you've allowed yeah, just, them to come out of you yeah for sure and there's an interesting term i noted on your youtube about page so it was about intergenerational trauma and i'm mm. stuck on that like what does it mean so um intergenerational trauma is uh, uh, this is going to be interesting for you as a scientist okay so it talks it's referring to the okay so we all experience trauma in our lives Trauma exists on a spectrum. No, no two people have the, experienced the same amount of trauma. Okay, and and this is this is a um, trauma is something that's constantly we're discovering more and more about it. Okay, now trauma can begin at a level where you were told as a child uh, to be that children are seen and not heard. So every time you wanted to say something, you were like shushed. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is a form of trauma. Because it teaches us that my voice doesn't matter. I'm generalizing right now. I'm giving one example. Okay. Now, let's use that as an example. So I was told I was shushed, to be shushed all the time. So I now am in a belief that uh, my voice doesn't matter. So I live my whole life always muting myself, never really speaking my truth, right? And so there's a part of me that feels contracted, feels small in my body, okay? I have children, or, um, and whether I have them, I birth my children or I adopt, doesn't matter. I bring up children in my care, right? So um, because I'm living my life from that belief, everything about my aura Everything about my behavior carries this energy of being minimized. So I just want to pause there. Does that make sense to you? Because you are a scientist. Uh, about the aura stuff, not very much. But no, uh, about the behavior. That, yeah, for sure, behavior. Yeah, about the behavior. So as children, anybody under my care are going to be around this behavior. I'm modeling a certain behavior mm -hmm. to them. And part of that behavior might also be that every time they speak, I go, shh. Um, because that's how I learned. Mm -hmm. I learned from that behavior, right? And I didn't learn that that was not healthy for me. So I then passed that trauma 
intergenerationally down. Okay. That's one. Does that make sense? For sure. Okay. Definitely. That's one example of, of actual behavioral pattern. <laughs> Another example um, that that people in this field talk about is um, epigenetics. It's actually genetical in the genetics. So, and we have a full we have a full bodied experience, and that is programmed. It's imprinted in our DNA. I, I won't be able to talk to you about science behind it. To me, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Because yeah. I know I live life as a full-bodied experience. When I see something, my mind, through practice, has less of an authority over my lived experience. So I have a cellular experience in life. So I know my experiences are programmed into my cells. Okay. Therefore, if I were to have a biological child, let's use mm-hmm. the biology, some of my DNA is going to be in that kid. So I'm passing on my imprints in my DNA to my progeny. Yeah. But the truth is, everything, everything that's imprinted in my DNA is being expressed in my very being, in mm-hmm. my very living. Yeah. So already just through my behavioral patterns, the trauma that I've also experienced, I'm passing intergenerationally. So often experiences that I've been doing a lot of this myself, I've been doing this, I don't like to use the word work, but I will use it for now, journeying intergenerational trauma with my mother. And because I, and how I do that is I ask her questions. I ask her questions about her childhood, about her teenagehood, what it was like in the, when she was 20, 30, 40. I bring different situations to her. Like, why didn't you smoke? Like, you know, what was it like dating? What did you, and when I learn from her, when I'm curious about her life, and her upbringing, and I don't look at her through a lens of she is my mother, but she's a human being. The insights I get into how she has formed her experiences and how that's affected the way she's parented me has been mind-blowing because it shed a light on my own behavioral patterns Mm -hmm. that I realize I've adopted, and actually they're not even mine. Yeah. I can literally drop them because I, I, I'm, I'm like, okay, now I know where it comes from. It comes from her. No wonder every time I felt that way, it didn't feel comfortable. It's not, it doesn't belong to me. It's not my experience. And so through awareness, I can just make a choice. No more. And literally it drops off. It's very powerful. I can, sure. talk, I can talk for many hours about intergenerational trauma, but I just wanted to touch on those two points. Does that... Yeah, it makes sense. Mm. And I'm sure that uh, a young baby learns a lot from Im- like uh, imitation, like it imitates a lot. It copies his, who are around his, who are, yeah. mostly they are parents. So that's there. And I have been talking with a friend about this and I very much made a controversial statement that, like most of the parents are not ready to have a child. Absolutely. It, it blows my mind, right? In most countries, you need a license to drive a car. Yeah. You have to be old enough to drink alcohol. Okay, forget about the drinking alcohol, the license part. You need to have a license, yeah. right? You have to be a license. You have to have a license to be a therapist or even any of these things. But anybody can become a parent. I mean, think about it. That's kind of insane. For sure, definitely. And there's no parenting school. I mean, we don't even, we're not even taught emotional intelligence at school. No, the not the at majority all. of the world that don't even know what emotions are, they know three emotions. Happy, sad, angry. <laughs> yeah. Which is why it's my, my calling, my mission to bring 
sort of emotional healing through music and mindfulness through um, to people in a way that's playful because this kind of healing, and it is healing work because it's painful, you know, to discover uh, your, more about yourself in a very in-depth layer. It can be scary, but it's also incredibly expansive. It's incredibly, um, it's mind-blowing. And the more you feel, the more you can appreciate. That's the other thing. A lot of people are like, I don't want to feel so much, it's scary. But you imagine if you close your heart, you're also, to protect it, you're also unable to receive. The more mm-hmm. open your heart is, yeah, the more vulnerable, but you get to still experience everything. That means the highs and the lows. But if you experience the highs and the lows together in a safe community, I can't think of anything better than that. Interesting. And uh, about that musical healing. So apart from intergenerational trauma, there's a lot of stuff like PTSD and stuff like that, which people have gone through. Yes. So how much do you think music therapy and uh, what you offer can help in that? Like, Yeah, thank you for that question. Again, it's really important for me to mention that, you know, there is no one size fits all. And I have come across somebody um, before, and we were in the same uh, conversation, who is actually traumatized by listening to music. Yeah. And I always encourage people, I always remind people that no one knows you better than you. Mm-hmm. And so full permission always to be guided by you. You can rely on yourself. If you feel it's unsafe to listen to music, then don't listen to music. If you are curious about listening to music but feel unsafe, then reach out to somebody who can support you, guide you. Um, I will say hold your hand um, with you, um, someone of authority and expertise who can take you through it step by step. Music is very powerful, so it doesn't surprise me that for some people, especially those who suffer from, not suffer, who journey with PTSD, it can be overwhelming because it takes you straight into the experience, right? But it doesn't mean it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, what else would I say? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I would say about that. Because mu- music basically touches us beyond our mind, and our mind loves to justify everything, right? It yeah. loves to analyze everything. Because it's, it's there, it's wired to keep us safe. But what mm-hmm. happens is when we become so limited for the, to, uh, by the mind, it cuts us off from our heart. And our heart is where the abundance comes in, right? Living life in the open heart, even, even the words say it all. Interesting, guys. And uh, I've been... Uh, like, I think that music therapy is very similar to exposure therapy. You can say that like you mm-hmm. somehow you are taking back them back to that same event and mm-hmm. they are getting that exposure like they are facing that uh, emotions once again so mm-hmm. then how do you redirect that energy like whatever past emotions they have so do you mm-hmm. embrace that and turn it into a completely different thing or do you redirect it to something else like that past emotions and past uh, experiences That's a great question. Thank you for asking it. So I I want to be very clear. I am not a certified music therapist. Uh, So I don't practice whatever the principles are for music therapy, Um, Mm -hmm. sort of your traditional music therapy. What I do is is therapeutic, using music as a tool. Mm -hmm. And my authority and expertise, and I say this with confidence and with love, is that I have been 
using music as part of my life for I'm nearly 48 so I was I've been doing music practicing music as a life practice since I was two years old I've been singing so my whole life my dharma my life purpose is healing through music so I'm bringing my experience to this so I've reverse engineered how I used music to heal myself how I used music to hold me in my darkest, most traumatic experiences and how it showed me that it can be this vehicle. So now coming back to your question. Again, no one size fits all. It really depends on the individual. Um, The most important thing is as a coach and a healer combined in one is the priority is to build relationship with the client, the participant, even if you've, you've been with me in a group workshop, I'm even able to do it in a workshop. And the way I build relationship, it doesn't even have to be over a period of time. It could be in a two-hour workshop, is I, am, I show up 100% as me. I model the behavior. I tell my story, um, and I show up perfectly imperfect. And that, to me, is where the magic happens. Because what people see... And experience, so they feel it, is authenticity. And this is where that's thrown around a lot. I know that. But it's basically, it's truth. Now, the minute you see someone who is fully vulnerable, then we mirror that. There is a safety to also relax into that space. And that's why in, in, in the group session that Ankit and I were in together, we got to experience and witness somebody who actually is traumatized by music shift their experience within that session. And I had no idea this person was even traumatized. None of us knew, right? None of us yeah. knew. And this, this is an example of how when you approach life ready to receive the unknown, magic happens. When you need to have a fixed outcome, when you need to know something is, is a sure shot, is when our vision and therefore our experience becomes narrowed. So anything that happens outside of that is going to throw you off course, right? Because you're Mm -hmm. expecting this. But I go into every session like this, open. And I'm there to listen. So first I build trust and relationship by being me Mm -hmm. and letting people ask as many questions as they want. And I very strategically will play a song that I know or I trust within me is going to soften everybody's hearts. Mm-hmm. My strategy is to play and talk at the same time first. I'm not sure if you remember that. So I'll just play random chords and I'll talk. So what I'm doing is I'm getting people used to the tonality of my voice, mm-hmm. the pace, right? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be as geeky as possible because I'm a geek, <laughs> you know? I'll make mistakes from the piano. Basically, mm-hmm. I'm just living in the moment. So by living in the moment, I'm being a guide, a Sherpa. I'm guiding everybody to live in the moment with me where we have no idea what's going to happen next. And 10 times out of 10, I will declare that to everybody. By the way, folks, I have no idea what's going to happen in this session. Let's have fun together. Let's play. And then from there, normally the songs are picked intuitively. So I'll ask questions. Mm -hmm. And because I have this years of experience of music, listening, discerning, writing, I trust that the song will come to my awareness that I will play. 
and that's the ability I have, I can play and sing. Or I might play it off YouTube. Or, depending on the situation, if people are wanting to interact with me, I'll say, hey, what song, what song represents what you're feeling right now? Mm-hmm. You know, and if they can't remember, because a lot of people are like, oh, I can't do this because I don't remember songs, I don't remember artists' names, that doesn't matter. Then I'll say, share with me what you're feeling. Is there an emotion? Is there a physical feeling? And then again, I'll tune into myself and see what song comes up. Everything is very open-ended. Yeah. But my intention, my values are always curiosity, mm-hmm. play, and freedom. When we're suffering, when there's trauma, we're not free. We're shackled by an experience and a memory. So my intention is always to remind everybody that freedom is in their hands. And it can be, it can be a place you get to through music, even if it's just for 30 seconds, even if it's for just a moment. Um, and I have had the privilege to be able to witness some incredible transformation, just like the one we witnessed together. Mm-hmm. And I'll pause there. For sure. And it was very interesting session. And I'm still surprised like uh, how the people like you can like integrate emotions into the chords. I'm still not sure. I'm trying to learn music. So I've just bought a guitar. And uh, that's completely magical and mystical to me. Like how mm. like simple chords can carry that much emotions. So I was listening to this uh, interesting TED talk and she said that emotions and like you are the chords are within you and whatever instrument you are playing it just mimics that emotion through that chord so Absolutely. that was really interesting you are a music at the end of the day even our voice we have mm-hmm. the music the message is music within us you know and when we use our voice that is a tune we yeah. just don't see it that way because we identify it as spoken word you know but i can speak like this and i can speak super aggressively ankit because i am not going to Oh, I could speak like this, Ankit. And I could say, you know, I'm just not going to do that. But mm-hmm. the tone shifts everything. Even the intention shifts everything. Um, because Very we are music. Uh-huh. And have you met anyone who's a pitch perfect? Like they can... Many people. The Many people. Pitch yeah. perfect. Pitch perfect is... Pitch perfect just simply means that they... That, that which we have defined as a scale of notes. Mm-hmm. Um, you can call a note. A, sing me a high A, and they can, they can sing that. Yeah. But really, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not quite sure how, what, I mean, there is a purpose, there's a use for being pitch perfect, mm-hmm. but it's not required. For me, yeah. everything is about reconnecting people to the freedom of being in the present moment, you know, uh, connecting people to, to who you are right now. Interesting. Right now, who are you here? Yeah. Wow. It's been an amazing conversation for sure. I loved every bit of it. So let us know where we can find you and how we can join community. Are you still accepting like new members? Yeah, I'm going to be accepting people. I'm I'm inviting people to to join me in in my mindfulness and music community, which is on the Circle platform. Mm -hmm. and um, I am adventuring and exploring this new platform and invite you to join. It's, It's free. And yeah. I'll be rolling out a membership at some point, when, whenever it feels right. Mm-hmm. Um, so come and play. Come and join me. Um, I'm not sure where we put the link. I'll put sure. the link in the we'll description. Okay. So. And um, follow me on Instagram. 
my handle is Melissa Endart, and I am going through an exciting rebrand right now. So my new website, melissaendart.com, will be launched very soon. So three things. Instagram, my official website, melissaendart.com, and join my community. You'll find the link because Ankit's going to put it there. For all spiritualists, for all scientists, and all mm-hmm. non-believers. Let's all play together. For sure. Interesting. And thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Ankit. Thank you.